0: You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: Hi, welcome to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. You are with Grant Goldberg and Spike Friedman. Today we have a guest. We are joined by Nathan Ernst. Did I say that right? you did yeah um, all right we are joined by nathan erdst he is a writer at hawkblogger.com he is on twitter.com and we are very excited to have him on the show before we start to talk to nathan we'll give a quick intro of ourselves i'm grant goldberg i do social media stuff for uh, forum blue and gold and spike is a writer at the stranger amongst other places spike how pumped are you to have nathan on the show
2: very pumped. And I needed it. Uh, that I had to write up yesterday about uh, Robinson Cano's 80-game steroid suspension. So basically any any positive news is needed for me right now and Nathan being on the podcast 100% qualifies. Uh, so, yeah, I'm super excited. I'm known
0: for bringing just a ton of positivity to this, so <laughs> let's get the yeah. hype going.
2: Well, mm. yeah, we, we've had Ben on in the past. So you can't be less pop- Well, I, I think that's actually a good place to start, Grant, which is this is, and this is like a dumb question, but we're in like sort of the the we know what the roster for the Seahawks is moment of the off season, and there isn't a lot of news breaking. Uh, we'll talk about some of the news that has broken a little later on. But Nathan, do you think the Seahawks are good? like as currently constructed? Do you think this version of the Seahawks is good?
0: They have good players, <laughs> uh, and that's a big part of having a good team. Um, I think how good they are, though, is really... Like, uh, I, I don't think anyone can really tell you confidently right now like how good this team is because so much of it is riding on younger guys that have been you know, doing their time behind a bunch of the vets that we just saw leave. So, it could be a good team. It certainly has good players. Where it'll end up, I don't really know.
1: See, I feel like we'd be a lot more positive if, and this is going to sound like really, really pessimistic, but in the Seahawks being good if not Brian Schottenheimer was the offensive coordinator.
0: Yeah. And
1: so, you hit the nail on the head that they have good players. I think that was some great insight. But yeah, the other part of that is you need great coaches, and or even just decent coaches. And you know, Schottenheimer was just such an uninspiring hire. Yeah, I mean, the flip side of that
0: is uh, you got rid of Tom Cable, so yeah, yes, maybe you know that goes a long ways. But it, it's hard to get excited for shot for Shadi.
2: Yeah, I I look at this team and I'm like, it might, it could, yeah, it could be good. But you have to do a lot more projecting with this roster than I think we as Seahawks fans have had to do in seven ish years. Uh, In terms of just being like, wow, we got we got holes to fill, and you know, the linebacking core is clearly going to be a strength. Russell Wilson is ideally going to be a strength. Doug Baldwin's still on the roster. There's still, as you said, good players here. But in terms of, like, a cohesive unit without weaknesses, there are just a lot of questions. And, and I keep looking at this roster and being like, man, yeah, like the offensive line, it could be better. We don't have Tom Cable. We have Mike Solari. We've got a real five-some maybe. But also, like, we could only have two decent offensive linemen again and be back. where It's just all over this roster. I'm sort of like, what, what? What are we right now? Is there a place for you on this team where you think we are going to either drastically... Where you think there's room for either significant over or underperformance compared to what maybe the names feel like? Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, I, I think I think the overperformance is probably at running back. Interesting. Um, I mean, we it's can get into the... Hard. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it, it's a really low bar. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. People seem pretty excited about Penny at this point. Um, I see the, the the fantasy people going going crazy about him and trying to get him and stuff. Um, although these are like the diehards that are doing like quirky drafts, and those people are crazy to me. <laughs> um, so a lot of opportunity there. I mean, offensive line again, just such a low bar for so long that you know some competent coaching could. Go a long ways. I mean, they do have you know Dwayne Brown with a Pro Bowler not that long ago. So you know, and yeah, and last uh, season,
1: I mean, it was kind of like an injury default, but he was there.
0: That's true, huh? Well, he was a legit Pro Bowler not that long. Ago. <laughs> <There> <laughs> he played go. like a Pro Bowler not that long. Ago. <laughs> and then Britt too, right? Wasn't Britt an alternate last year? The yeah, year I, before last, I, whatever. I'm
1: pretty sure he yeah. was. Yeah,
0: there's some talent there. Um, I think you know, underperforming though, um, the DBs. Um, again, this is uh, about a bar, right? Like, it's been so high for so long. Um, But now you're losing, you know, you lost Sherm. Cam's, seems like he's done. And so now you're promoting Quill, and he's got to take on all the responsibility. Is he going to have a sophomore slump? Who knows? Maxi, you know, you're depending on a guy that was cut not that long ago. He played okay. But I don't know how, like, how much we should be depending on a guy like that. Um, And then the depth behind it is kind of shaky. So, That could be one where things could definitely go wrong, I think.
2: Yeah, and I also think given... And I think the sacks maybe will be there this season, but given Cliff's absence, the edge-rushing situation maybe not being what it has been over the past few years, that we maybe won't notice up front that our pressure isn't getting there, but we'll actually see that in our guys getting beat because the pressure isn't really getting there. like. Like, everything about the past defense has been so good for six, seven years. that yeah, I think you're right that, like, that is the spot where, like, we could be league average this year, even with Earl healthy for 16 games.
1: I think, yeah, too— can- oh, go, ahead. go ahead. Okay, so I was just going to say about the, the pressures and the sacks. I think, too, uh, something to look out for because expectations were so high going into last year, and especially you know after trading for Sheldon Richardson— uh, the expectations were through the roof and not to say it was bad, the defensive line was good and and they had some pressures, but I think now going into a year where we're questioning where the sacks are going to come from, you know, it, it's going to be nice just to see a, a decent amount of pressure from this line that we have as constructed right now so we don't have these sky-high expectations. So, you know, anything that we get, it's going to be appreciated. Yeah, and it'll all be coming
0: from young guys too like uh, not that it was like at all sad to see bennett or avril like racking up sacks i mean that was always great but to see you know if reed can get pressure if, if deon jordan who could be around for a while you know clark all those guys still young still promising it could be really exciting to kind of watch these guys gel and maybe you know who knows if they'll be as good as they've been the past few years but maybe they can um be as exciting and as fun to watch
1: yeah, I think yeah. Uh, especially because Frank Clark's going to be coming into a bigger role, and you know we're going to have to see guys like uh, Jaron Reed step up in the pass game, and uh, Nas Jones stay healthy. We're gonna we're gonna rely on a lot of these young guys, like you were saying, and we're gonna have to rely on them being healthy because you know last year was just a train wreck because of those injuries. You know, having having young guys having depth, uh, being able to interchange these guys on the field, and having bodies able to go, it's going to be huge for this defensive line.
0: That's the thing with this whole team is, and this is a scary comparison, but they kind of remind me of the Mariners the last few yeah. years, right? Where yes. you look at all their like the the starters, and you're like you can you can kind of squint, you can kind of talk yourself into like yeah, you know this Clark's really going to take the jump, and you got Russell Wilson and, and Doug Baldwin, and now you're adding Penny, and Carson will be healthy, and this line could gel, and like you kind of can talk yourself into all this stuff, and like hey, they could be really good, but there's no depth. Like they have no tolerance for anything going wrong, and uh, spoiler alert: there are a lot of injuries in football. Uh, yeah, and you know, people you know, if you that. lose people, people forget. Yeah, if you lose Doug for like three or four games, you're looking at like starting Jaron Brown, Maradarbo, Like it gets scary fast. Um, I, you know, I guess George Fant is still around, but the tackle depth here is a little rough. Like. Uh, you lose Quill, and now you're starting... Nico
1: Thorpe! Nico it's Thorpe! <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, it gets... I mean, there's always been Russ has always been key, and Earl has always been key, right? But, like, now you kind of have these all over the place where it's like, boy, you, you lose Clark, or you lose even, like, Reed, like, all across the defensive line. It's pretty thin. So, yeah, it's, it's it, like, it gets uh, scary. There's,
1: there's so many little leaks in, in the roster that if we get, you know, one big leak, everything's just going to fall apart.
2: Yeah, and if and if I'm thinking Mariners, like, if if this team is is not just not good, but is in fact bad, the Mariners comparison that can be drawn, and it's a horrific one that I probably shouldn't even say out loud lest I manifest it into the universe by talking, but the 2004 Mariners, where you had a roster where you're like, yeah, Rich Aurelia, Scott Spezio, they could, they could have bounce back years and really fill in for some of those retiring legends or guys moving on and suddenly you go from a 90 win team to a 65-70 win team in a, in a single offseason and, and uh, live in the wilderness for 15 years now again hopefully that won't happen but there is like when you go through the line and you're like oh man like yeah if, if these young players do not progress if they do not get coached up And develop into quality starters this team isn't going to be competitive in a very good NFC because if you look at our biggest advantage is we have a very good quarterback but you look around the NFC a lot of teams have really good quarterback situations I mean even with Russell Wilson you can make an argument that we only have maybe the fifth best quarterback situation in the conference Uh, now a lot of those other teams that have good quarterbacks, say Aaron Rodgers, like the team around him is similarly full of holes. But I, I uh, I'm anxious. I think the, I think, and just to bring it around before we take a quick break, I think you're right. This team like could be good, but we are. It's it's a little frightful when 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 you stare at that roster too closely.
1: It is. Yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, in order to make the playoffs, the Seahawks are going to not only have to play good football, but they're going to have to play great football, and they're going to have to have a lot of breaks and a lot of luck uh, with injuries. But, you know, now that we've reached such a high note on this podcast, so much positivity, we're going to take a short break and come right back to you. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the Locked on Seahawks podcast. You are still with Grant, Spike, and Nathan. Nathan Ernst of HawkBlogger.com. And uh, this past weekend, Seahawks legend, former coach Chuck Knox passed away. He was 86 years old. Uh, he brought the team to its first ti- uh, conference title game, uh, first division championship, coached you know plenty of players in the ring of honor. And so he's Seahawks legend and uh, I mean it's, I think it's fair to say that you know a lot of Seahawks fans are, are mourning his death.
2: Yeah, that is absolutely fair to say. I hope people are. I um. Yeah, I mean Chuck. Chuck is in Seahawks Ring of Honor. He is alongside Holmgren and Carroll, one of the three great Seahawks coaches. Um, and as a Seattle sports fan, it is it is it feels very lucky to have had multiple great coaches for the same team. We might be getting there with Husky football now. We might be on our second. Truly great coach uh, Jury is still uh, it's, I mean the jury is deliberating and, and, and they're positive on it But there's still more time Before uh, we can announce that uh, Similarly the Mariners Only got the one in Lupinella Sonics sort of only have the one In George Carl. So it's, it's great that we've got Chuck Knox We're all a little young To yeah. really remember Chuck Knox Chuck Knox lived a great life How old? 86 years 86, old?
1: 86, full life
2: Grateful life, so congratulations to Chuck Knox. Nathan, do you have any Chuck Knox memories, feelings, takes, anything along those lines?
0: No, I was pretty <laughs> pretty young when Chuck moved on, but he had like there's a cool like mythos around him in Seattle. Like, uh, you know, it's been twenty some years or whatever since he coached here, but he's still. I mean, he's in the ring, and all that, but there's he's kind of our Yogi Berra in some ways yeah. like there's all these weird like sayings that he had and yeah. you know he had the such a brand with Chuck Knox and or Ground Chuck and all that and so it's cool like I don't know that it, it was right before my time and so like the Brian Blades years and like some of the the players back on then it, it's like this like kind of cool period in Seahawks history but no I didn't get to see him much or anything so
2: yeah. well and I'm 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 learning about Chuck Knox uh, right now, and uh, I didn't realize that he was, I, I don't want to say like a, he was a liberal advocate for letting African-American players play quarterback, play middle linebacker, and play center uh, early on in his career as a college coach, which is not something I knew about Chuck Knox, and now I like Chuck Knox even more than I did mere minutes ago, so that's exciting, uh, and
1: yeah, yeah, that's I don't know. That, yeah, that's uh, you know something that should be appreciated. Uh, another thing, he's one of the early uh, innovators in the shotgun formation for the offense, so he was one of the first guys to do it in the NFL, and so we have that. But yeah, like I said, he's you know one of the great coaches in Seahawks history, and he'll be dearly, dearly missed by you know the whole Seahawks family. Yeah, presu- presumably. Presumably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I mean, I mean look. especially by us two, like now that we've you know had some research done about him and found uh, out some us, more things.
2: Us three, Grant. I think we can all agree that Nathan is on board with missing Chuck Knox, right, Nathan? I didn't well, want to speak for
1: him. I, he's his first time on the podcast. You know, I don't want to <laughs> overset my boundaries as a host. I, I miss him dearly. <laughs> oh man! All right. Oh,
2: <laughs> oh
1: man, that was. A-
2: Truly the least fitting tribute (laughs) for a Seahawks legend. But I do think it's really honest to what it's like to be like, you know, 230 something and a 20 something Seahawks fans, where it's sort of like, yeah, we became aware of this team right after he left, and things got pretty bad for a while. And it was like, man, you guys should have been sentient human beings five ten years ago when things were good with this team and it is sort of just like yeah he lives on as like a hero for my you know my hypothetical older brother that i don't have his generation and then his uh his like uncle i guess in terms of hypothetical
1: Chuck yeah i mean like 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 we're doing research about him live on the show but you know, it it goes to speak about him that it needs to be acknowledged. You know his legacy, so it it's it's worth talking about, I think. And you know, for all three of us, I'll say that it was it was worth talking about him. Absolutely, Grant.
2: Absolutely. And we should take a break and come back and get in to back in because I want to get deep because Nathan is smart about this team on the Seahawks' most recent draft. So we're going to take a quick break. I know this was a quick segment. And we'll be back right after this, talking new Seahawks with Nathan Ernst.
1: We are back with the final portion of today's episode of the Locked on Seahawks podcast. We are still joined by Nathan Ernst of heartblogger.com. He did not leave us mid-show. And uh, we're going to talk about the new Seahawks as Spike teased some of the rookies that the Seahawks just drafted in uh, the 2018 NFL Draft. And so I'll I'll start us off with the questions. And Nathan, I want to know, you know, how is Rashad Penny going to break the NFL rushing record this year? And you know what's going to help him do that?
0: They can get him um, six to seven hundred carries. I think he's got a great <laughs> shot at it. Uh,
1: no, I mean, I don't, wait. Like I don't know. No, no, but, how, but how optimistic are you about Rashad Penny and what he could potentially bring to this team?
0: I'm fairly optimistic. I mean,
1: I, I'm not a I'm not a big
0: believer in the run game. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But setting aside the philosophical question of running versus passing and all that, I mean, he looks he looks good. Um, he's decisive. He's quick. He's um, got some power and some size to him. Um, he can kind of do everything. He's impressive on tape. You know, uh, bursting through holes and stuff like that. And so. Um, they, had, they didn't have a lot of talent in the backfield after, I mean, they had next to no talent in the backfield after Carson went down. Um, and so if you can combine, you know, two talented guys and Carson and Penny and then some uh, improved running, I think there's a lot of opportunity for Penny to do con- some good stuff. Do um, you want the flip side of that, though? Do you want the reasons to not get right, too yeah, amped yeah, up for right. Penny L- yet?
1: Level it out,
0: Nathan. So I'm <laughs> <Yeah. too> excited. <laughs> He's le- he was legit bad, like legit awful uh in pass blocking uh and if Carson is healthy um that was something that Carson actually did well last year and he caught the ball well last year and so if Carson is going to be you know a little bit more established if he's going to be healthy if he's going to do all the third down stuff better than Penny you you have to start to wonder how long it takes Penny to kind of crack into things like um everybody loves David Johnson he's great um it took David Johnson like 10 to 12 weeks to start you know, football games for the Cardinals. And if Penny, I, I'm not saying Penny will be David Johnson, but Penny could take a similar route where he could be very good, but it could take him a long time to kind of crack in if it takes some time to learn how to, you know, block and catch and run routes and all that stuff. They say he can catch and all that stuff really well, but the pass blocking is going to be a concern.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's obviously necessary given the, the shape of the offensive line over the past few years. And uh, I, I think I wrote a stat where Penny had... The most yards before contact in college football last year, and that it's great because you know that's something that we've seen in Seattle all these years. All the all the yards that they're given to run before uh, defenders get through the line of scrimmage.
0: He broke Graham. tons of tackles, and it'll be interesting to see if he can kind of translate that though, because so much of the so many of the tackles that he broke were through. I mean, he's a big guy; he's like two twenty yeah. or whatever. I think he went in, but he doesn't he doesn't run like a March on. He Breaks tackles by, um, like, kind of teleporting in and out of his cuts, and then guys are left like just grasping at his thigh pads, and they just slide off of him. So, I mean, he can bowl guys over, but the way he got those broken tackle numbers was by making guys by forcing arm tackles and running through them.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I hated this pick when it happened. I'm never going to be like happy that we made this pick. And that said, uh, I think that that skill would, it, it would be very nice to see something like that translate. It felt like even though there were so many plays last year where running backs were just getting creamed in the backfield, outside of Carson and occasionally McKissick, but McKissick only in the open field with a head of steam, it also felt like... Our running backs weren't generating anything either, and so having someone who can who can generate things in that unique shifty way it's just, it, it is it is exciting, even if I dislike the pick. Uh, move, moving on to positions where I think we do like the Seahawks to draft players. Is there anyone else? Is there anyone for you where you are looking at this draft class and being like, here is an instant contributor to the Seahawks next year, outside of Penny.
0: Uh, Michael Dixon.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh, <Yes! dude. laughs> uh, this is a Michael Dixon hype podcast.
0: So yeah. Uh, so more positivity. There's like a legit chance that Seahawks Twitter is losing their minds when in Week 10, Michael Dixon is the only one who's done from this rookie class that's done anything from this team. Like, oh uh, yeah. If Penny can't get on the field, really, and then you know Green is so. Uh, Green green is so green, yeah. (laughs) Uh, You know, Griffin may be primarily a special teams guy. Like, there's all these reasons why you know a lot of these guys might not make a big splash. I mean, the one that's almost certainly going to make an impact is Dixon, right? He should start out of the gate. So,
2: oh man, I'm so excited about him. Uh, I I can't. It's so insane to be as excited as I am, and I know like Ray Guy Award winners don't always. Their skills don't translate, but he looked so good in rookie minicamp. He looked so good. And our punt game has been so shmedium the last couple years that it's just like, ah, it's just like the idea that we have the next great player at a position like that where you're just like, I'm just like so excited. This is like totally genuine, just like, oh, there's someone on our football team who can single-handedly change field position regularly and put us in advantageous positions. It just like sets Pete Carroll up to be Pete Carroll. Like Pete Carroll needs those weird little advantageous situations to really do all the nonsense he wants to do running the ball and bending, but not breaking and all. I'm just so excited. Uh, Is there anybody other than Dixon who you think could, uh, could or is likely to step into, uh, into a position uh, where they're where they're getting significant time early in their tenure? Or do you think it's going to be pretty fallow in that regard?
0: Yeah, I'm not, not seeing a ton. I mean, um, we'll see about Griffin. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, he killed it in college last year. He tested through the roof. I don't know where he gets on the field as a rookie. Um, they haven't really wanted to be that creative with players like him you know every year we talk about oh big nickel big nickel big nickel. you know oh they got the, he's gonna play a safety hybrid a linebacker hybrid and like and it just never happens and i think griffin's the best player they've had to really try that with since they've never really wanted to try it with cam uh so m- maybe it finally happens and and maybe he i mean he could certainly do some really cool stuff there um he also was I mean, he's also a good pass rusher. So like it wouldn't shock me if he puts up like if he gets if he ends up in some kind of a NASCAR package and puts up, you know, six or more sacks. I mean, that's that's best case probably, but um there's a lot of ways that he could there's a lot of reasons why he won't find the field, but there's a lot of ways that if he does, he could make a big impact.
2: Yeah, I'm excited about him potentially getting some snaps at linebacker. Like you're saying, using that speed to rush the passer. I mean, you think about that speed in his frame and then like like those occasional sort of like corner blitzes we were busting out last year mm-hmm. with like Justin Coleman, like how much more ferocious will that be with a guy who's, you know, Griffin size and has his tackling ability? Yeah, I'm excited to see yeah, that.
1: So am I and, and earlier in the show we talked about depth, of course, and just having him You know, on the sideline, ready to go behind KJ and Bobby, God forbid, to go down. You know, that's been an area where they've needed depth and they've sorely lacked it. We saw it, especially last year. So just having him on the team, ready to go, a player with his skill set, his versatility, it's a nice ace in the pocket.
2: Yeah. uh, Yeah, I mean, God, you look at this and you're like, yeah, you look at Green and you're like, well, he could definitely rotate in. Jamarco Jones is like a flyer on someone. It's the rare Seahawks flyer on someone who has like skills that'll translate or rather than athleticism that should translate to the league. So I could see him playing in a pinch. Uh, hopefully we don't need to play Trey Flowers next year. Hopefully he's a longer term developmental project. I mean, is there anyone, I guess, from maybe last year's draft class who you think could take a big, step forward and sort of fill a hole on the squad outside of Shaq Griffin.
0: Uh, Darbo. Oh. I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't love Darbo. I don't really hate Darbo either. I mean, uh, there was a lot of controversy with him last year and whether he should have made it over Kasem Williams. And I mean, I think Kasem Williams outplayed him, but you know, that is what it is. But Darbo's got the clearest path, maybe uh, just with, wide receiver. I mean, he might he might start the year as a third wide receiver, right? All he has to do is beat out Jerome Brown. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, if, if he can... I mean, he was a third-round pick a year ago. If he can be what they hopefully thought he would be, then he's a guy that could... Um, that has... that should get some opportunities and, and has the talent that he could uh, capitalize on him.
1: Yeah, I think, too, uh, he kind of flashed it a little bit in, in certain spurs last year. But not necessarily in plays where, you know, they were successful, but they were kind of like the almost plays where he almost got a, a crazy jump ball or, you know, he had separation, but, you know, the play just fell apart. And so, like, there, there's the tools we saw, you know, pre-draft, you know, he's a specimen and, you know, he has certainly, like I said, the tools to succeed is just getting the play time and showing that he can actually produce on the field.
2: Yeah, exactly. it it felt like he did some stuff last year, but he ended up with eight receptions for seventy-one yards on the season. And obviously, wide receivers as rookies, it's a very tough position to come in and make an impact unless you're an absolute stud. But it felt like it felt like he had more than that, right? Like it didn't feel like if I if I if you were to make me guess what his numbers were, I would have gone with like twenty to twenty or something. You know what I mean? Like. Eight for seventy-one doesn't feel awesome. Um, that's like a game, <laughs> ideally. Um, so uh, I, I, yeah, I'm with you on on Darbo definitely being a possibility. I guess Nas Jones was already doing it, like so. That's a weird one where I'm like very excited for the idea of Nas Jones. Um, potentially did at safety. Do you, do you like, what, what do you think about our safety situation? Uh, it's, it's, they got Earl Thomas. They got a good player. <laughs> <Yeah>. Uh, <laughs> um, big Earl Thomas fans here.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're, they, they should be a, they should be one of the better units on the team. I mean, you're never going to replace Earl if he gets hurt. Um, but McDougal played pretty well last year. Earl's Earl. Um, and then you've got some reasons to, you know, be hopeful for some guys, maybe. You know, I like Hill a lot. Um, Thompson is as fast as I am, but uh, <laughs> he had a lot of interceptions in college, so that's cool. Um, <laughs> so there's some the, – he was the best special teams player, according to John Schneider. Um, so, you know, maybe Thompson does something. It, it's not – this team has a lot more problems, I think, than, than their safety group. Okay, that's good. I am.
2: I man, was he the best special? I didn't hear John say uh, that.
0: Yes. Did he not watch
1: Nico Thorpe at all? Last
0: year? <laughs> oh my! He did, and he thought Tedrick Thompson was better. Weird.
1: Mm, so yeah, yeah I don't we, know. we talked about whether you know John Snyder was a good GM on the show like a few weeks ago, and now I'm I'm starting to rethink my choice. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> big big Nico Thorpe fan over here, but. Uh, yeah.
2: Oh yeah. uh, no! All right, so let's let's close out talking draft. Grant, do you have a final question?
1: Um. All right. So obviously, I've got about... I've got a backup question. If you don't. Okay. So. All right. Let's see. How? Right, if is there a potential Pro Bowler in the next two years from this? No, in the next. You know, three years from this draft class.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, it could be Penny. Um, it could be, it could be Michael Dixon. It's very, um, that's it's, where I
1: put my odds. That, I'm just uh, sure. you,
0: honestly, it's probably not a bad bet. Um, but then, I mean, the upside on guys like Green, um, and you know, who knows what they can do with a guy like Flowers. Um, so yeah, I mean, you could have a couple Pro Bowlers out of this class. I don't know that beyond Dixon, I'd consider. I'd, I'm like hopeful for any of them to get there, but it's possible.
2: All right, and then, okay, so I'll ask my last question, even though I said I was, that was the last one. Who from this draft class is the first player cut?
0: I'm, this is going to make me sad. I think it's going to be Jacob Martin. Uh, oh, yeah. I like him. I liked watching him. Um, he's just he's a weird tweener, like, size-wise, and I don't think they're going to find a role for him, and I think he is going to end up being the first cut.
1: All right. I was going to say Alex Magot. Is that how you say it? Alex Mago?
0: Magoo? Yeah. Mr. Oh, Magoo, Mr. Uh, Magoo. Is it Magoo? It's Magoo. All
1: right. Oh well,
0: that,
1: man! Oh my God! He's that uh,
2: Magoo <laughs> is in the house. Oh my God, Magoo! God, he looks like a Magoo too. Oh boy! You know,
0: along that line, I think the one that, the guy that's going to disappoint the most right away, and the guy that fans should probably you know just be patient on, is Disley. Yeah, I did just take a long time, and a blocking tight end like that's gonna not gonna flash most likely. Um, he's probably not even gonna play a lot behind the guys that they have, so he he could be a guy that kind of seems to disappear for a year or two, and I I wouldn't get too worried about it.
1: Yeah, especially playing behind uh, Nick Vinet and Michael Dixon's brother Ed. There's right. just <laughs> shout out to uh, Lars for that one, but. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, I, I want to thank you, Nathan, for coming on the show. I had a great time talking about this team, uh, talking about what could or couldn't be with these uh, rookies. And so I want to, you know, just say that I appreciate you coming on. I'm sure Spike does too, but I'm not going to speak from him. I'm not going to take that risk again. So, Spike, I'm going to give the floor to you. Uh,
2: yes, I also appreciate you coming on the Lock On Seahawks <laughs> yes. podcast, Nathan. Uh, yes, I, I and I'm and I'm also appreciate you, Grant, for giving me the time to say that.
1: Yeah, I give you the time to voice whatever you have to voice. <laughs> I feel That's like true. I... <laughs> That's true. I have turned this into
2: a straight Michael Dixon hype podcast for the last month. And that is not going to change for
0: the foreseeable future fans of the Locked On Seahawks podcast. There well, I are. appreciate you guys having me on here. So thanks very much. It was fun.
1: All right, guys. So uh, go to iTunes. Leave a five-star review if you enjoyed the show. Thank you, as always, for listening all the way through to the end. And so for the Locked on Seahawks podcast, I'm Grant Goldberg signing off.
2: And I'm Spike Friedman, also signing off.